Hi and welcome to the third episode of Restoring Nature's Tapestry, a podcast series in association with Federated Hermes. I'm Katrin Schindler from CityWire and with me in the studio are Zoe Disbolberg, who's an ESG engagement associate at EOS, and Josh Barry, the editor of Knife and Fork Media. Today's episode is all about food, plant-based food to be precise, and we'll find out if going meat-free is the answer to all our climate problems or if there might be some downsides to it. Zoe, Josh, welcome and great to have you. Thank you. Zoe, so I'll start with you. Do you think that plant-based diets are a cure-all for global warming? Or put differently, um, if the entire world went vegetarian tomorrow, do you think um, we would have a realistic chance of stopping climate change? Well, our food system is a big source of greenhouse gas emissions. About 30% of global greenhouse gas emissions come from the food system. And this amount can be reduced by 70% by transitioning from an animal to a plant-based diet. Animal proteins are inefficient at providing caloric supply. On a land use and emissions basis, 25 calories of feet are needed to produce one calorie of beef. Adopting plant-based diets can also reduce the risk of land use change, deforestation and biodiversity loss, which are all contributors of climate change. For example, Cattle and soy for animal feed are amongst the top three drivers of deforestation globally. So in sum, eating less meat and more plant-based protein is a really effective way of cutting down global emissions. Switching to alternative protein is also beneficial for other environmental aspects, such as water consumption and pollution. The average water footprint per calorie of beef is 20 times larger than for cereals and starchy vegetables and results in less nutrient pollution in aquatic systems. Mm -hmm. Another benefit of moving away from animal-based foods is the reduction of the risk of antimicrobial resistance. This occurs when a microbe develops the ability to survive to previously effective antibiotics, and the intensive use of antibiotics in livestock farming has increased antimicrobial resistance, which is a risk because it means that over time some medicines will lose their efficacy. So it's expected that AMR could cause as many as 10 million deaths by 2050, and by reducing livestock farming and its use of antibiotics, we can slow down AMR. Gotcha, interesting. Now to bring in Josh, so there are obviously lots of benefits mm -hmm. of going meat-free, yeah. but would you say there are also disadvantages maybe that come with reducing or cutting down meat in your diet? I think um, there's no doubt that reducing meat consumption or cutting it out completely would be a positive thing for the climate. But one thing I think that's overlooked or not talked about enough is the social impact of cutting out meat entirely. We've had farming exist in this, in the in, around the world for millennia, and um, I mean in the in the UK alone. Although the number of farm farmers is falling, I think uh, it's under hundred thousand now, and it was above that twenty years ago by some distance. Um, to completely eradicate a whole um, industry uh, would be probably quite catastrophic on an economic and social level. Um, but then, you know, so in saving the climate, you'd be sacrificing quite a lot. What else do you think we would be sacrificing apart from the social aspect you just mentioned? Well, intense pleasure um, that is derived from eating a nice juicy steak or some sausages or a bacon sandwich. Um, I'm not sure I want to live in a world without those things. So you don't think the current alternatives, meat-free alternatives that try to be as close to meat as possible? Not even close. I understand that they're improving and um, I also want to say that there is no doubt, you know, as I as mentioned and as so well put before, um, 
it's clear that we need to cut down on meat. And um, I think the obvious one is factory farming, isn't it? Um, and um, if we could switch to a model, um, regenerative agriculture, um, localized um, farming methods, many of which are sustainable, um, you know, for example, Collier, Matt Chatfield in Dev uh, Cornwall, um, and some of the other farms that are doing brilliant work. And that sort of paints a bit more of a wholesome and bucolic picture, but it also is a kind of scientifically proven one, um, or at least not proven, I shouldn't say that, should I? There's certainly evidence to suggest that moving to regenerative agriculture would um, be hugely beneficial and um, to the environment rather than damaging, and would also allow us to eat meat. But of course, one of the biggest concerns there is cost. Meat is already expensive, and as we know, we're in a cost of living crisis, at least in this country, and the price of food is going up and people's incomes are falling. So it would be sad to see um, a product that has been so democratised over the last 50 years fall back into being a luxury. Meat should be a luxury to a point, and of course, nobody should eat steak every day. Some people do. Um, but it would, you know, to move into, into an entirely new system or at least a system that's only deployed on a quite small scale at the moment would would mean a lot of people would be able to afford to eat meat and um, that would be socially damaging too. So, yeah. Zoe, what's your stance on regenerative um, agriculture that Josh just mentioned? Is it a fair or maybe even a better way to save the planet, if I may say so, than going vegetarian? Regenerative agriculture, in my opinion, would be the sustainable way of um, handling agriculture going forward. Um, it uses a lot of sustainable methods, um, and not only in terms of animal rearing, but also in terms of um, just arable farming. Uh, regenerative methods um, include reduced use of, of pesticides. Um, they include no-tilling no practices, and a lot of techniques that, in the end, improve uh, soil health and reduce pollution. So I would completely agree that regenerative agriculture is the way of going forward. And now we've also touched on the subject that vegetarian is gaining in popularity, but do you think that we have reached the peak basically, or is there still room to grow? What's your stance on that? Um, I don't think we've reached the peak, um, certainly not in the West. I don't know about the rest of the world. I don't know enough about it, but um, I think vegetarianism is, is still on the rise. And certainly if you look at kind of countries, it's all the rage here in Britain. If you look in Fr at France, Italy, Spain, I think you'd be hard pressed to find quite as many conversations around vegetarianism. But, um, you know, I think it's, it's a nice thing to move into a flexitarian diet, which gives people choice. I think choice is so important in everything in this world. Um, but to encourage uh, the use of, you know, say, eating a vegetarian diet five days a week can be incredibly interesting. And whether you use some of the meat substitutes or not, I'm not sure. Again, that's an area that's so new. It's really hard to know the benefits of it and the downsides. I mean, I don't know how comfortable I am with the idea of meat being grown in a lab. Um, I was given the opportunity to go out and Uh, see the factory uh, and um, textually I think it's apparently quite sound and on point but flavor is some way off so even just having a vegetarian diet that's based around vegetables delicious things like that or um, having spoken to people at um, University of London the food policy um, center there um, there's a real kind of move and shift towards 
50-50 kind of thing. So if you make a lasagna, you use 50% meat and 50% lentils, and you're not really impairing flavor. Um, you're still getting the enjoyment out of eating, but you're being a little bit sensible around what you're consuming and what you're using up. How much do you think of vegetarianism is actually a lifestyle choice, as in because it's a cool thing to do, maybe that's why a lot of people do it, as opposed to I'm really convinced that vegetarianism is the way to go forward. So what would you say? I think um, we've seen diets shift a lot. And I think there's also increasing awareness of the risks of, of climate change and the, the meat sector's link to contributing to climate change. So I think some people could change eating habits to be in line with their with their values and with um, not contributing to, to climate change. And then people can, can also be doing so because they've seen this trend and there are more and more plant-based alternatives on the market um, that, they, that they can find enjoyment in. Mm -hmm. Now, based on that, um, the growing demand for health and nutrition, that also is a growing opportunity for investors, right? To invest in companies that are satisfying those needs. So how do you engage with companies that promote good nutrition, basically? In our um, engagement with Western food and beverage companies, we hear that most have noticed this trend in increased consumer demand for healthy foods. And some companies are responding to this demand by increasing their share of organic products and plant-based alternatives. And we're pleased when we see such portfolio shifts. It's crucial for companies to reduce meat production and increase plant-based alternatives. Um, we also make sure to look at the health aspect of these new products and make sure that these um, plant-based alternatives aren't high in sugar, fat, and salt. Mm -hmm. Are there any plant-based alternatives that raise your attention specifically? Um, not one that I would point out, but I think it's a, it's a general concern because sometimes alternatives to meat are in fact plant-based um, and better for the environment than animal-derived meat, mm -hmm. but they're processed um, and therefore include too much um, salts and fats and sugar that in the end make them less healthy than animal-derived protein. And there are still some scientists that say that I'm not saying I subscribe to that, but they say vegetarians cause a bigger carbon footprint than occasional meat eaters. And the prime example is lettuce, which they say is highly water and energy intensive, and that makes it w uh, worse for the environment than bacon. Josh, what's your stance on that? <laughs> um, <clears throat> it would be interesting to see a graph, wouldn't it, to see, um, with uh, x-axis on how much meat you consume from one day a week to seven against um, a vegetarian diet where they're eating lettuce every day and so on and so forth. But um, I think it's quite an easy argument from the meat world, isn't it, to say, well, you're growing avocados, they require so much water and then there's food miles to consider. Um, equally, I think, you know, there's, there's very little argument um, for beef in the amount we consume. Um, in America, particularly, um, the amount of water you know used for uh, a pound of beef is far eclipses that of uh, any vegetable. Um, so, I think clearly, you know, it's going back to that flexitarian diet and saying rather than being competitive here and creating a for and against and black and white picture, I think we should probably be sort of, you know, eat lettuce if you want to eat lettuce. Maybe don't eat bags and bags of the stuff every day, um, but perhaps also try not to eat a steak every day too. Yeah, all the moderation. Mm -hmm. 
So we, um, Josh just mentioned avocados as one of the harmful foods for vegetarians. Is there anything else that you think we should avoid if we want to go vegetarian because it's not really good for the environment either? I think my main concern would be around um, the animal-derived products. In terms of plant-based, um, there wouldn't be any ingredient in particular that I'd frown upon. Um, but certainly, I think, I, in, as general advice, I would say to eat local um, and seasonal too, um, because a big part of the environmental footprints of these products are not only how they're produced, but also where they come from. Uh, have they been transported from far away? Was this transportation very emissions and energy intensive? So I'd recommend to, to go local and seasonal. What about stuff like palm oil and soy? Should we be careful about that? Soy is a really interesting one. Um, soy is used a lot in um, human nutrition, but also in animal feed. And soy is actually one of the three main drivers of deforestation. So I'd be wary about soy consumption, um, but at the same time, cattle, for example, is also one of the three main drivers of deforestation. So I'd be conscious about it, but wouldn't recommend to eat soy over um, another animal product. I think there's also a danger of vegetarianism as fad. Um, so, you know, when almond milk took off, uh, it's it seems a common trend for certainly in Britain, for um, consumers to become obsessed and latch on to a single product. So almond milk took off, I don't know how many years ago, but it really, really kind of in the last 10 years, I suppose. And um, that can be hugely disruptive in itself if everyone's buying the same thing and there isn't a system in place to produce that. Um, I think that was kind of uh, always a problem in California, certainly. Um, the amount of almonds that are grown and the water they require. Um, so again, it brings us back to that point about moderation and balance and nothing wrong with drinking almond milk, but perhaps not to the sudden and um, that kind of chaotic degree. Um, and I also don't think that a kind of vegetarian lobby helps itself um, when pitched against ardent meat eaters, um, perhaps those kind of... Um, red trousered countryside ones here who really do want to kind of fight back against it and it's you know it just creates this for and against thing that's uh, you know um too easily turns into an argument rather than something that can be helpful to everyone as a conversation it can be very polarizing that's exactly exactly it isn't it you know avocados are quite an easy target for um the beefy beefy people and um you know, um, slapping great stakes down onto marble is is another is kind of a pinup for those who are against. And um, yeah, I think almonds and almond milk is, is probably an example of that. I also wanted to touch on another point you mentioned earlier about the social impacts of going meat-free. What other large-scale economic impacts would you say are there? And are there any downsides maybe also for meat-loving countries like the US, Australia or Argentina? A shift to uh, plant-based protein instead of animal-derived protein, in my opinion, doesn't have to lead to farmers' livelihoods being affected. Just like any transition, the shift towards sustainable protein should be done in a progressive manner and taking social impacts into account and helping communities to adapt. 
For example, in the energy transition that we're going through to move away from fossil fuels, it's important we consider the livelihoods of communities that were involved in the supply chains of coal and oil production. And similarly, it's important to address the social impact of the transition away from animal-derived products towards these sustainable alternatives. In a sustainable protein transition, pasture farmers can transition to being arable farmers mm -hmm. or farmers producing palm oil can shift to producing other crops. And instead of using land for cows to produce beef and cheese, farmers could grow crops adapted to grow in their land. And additionally, growing crops using sustainable and the regenerative agriculture methods that we've mentioned would protect soil health and further help mitigate biodiversity loss. And of course, farmers may need support, such as adequate training or resources for this transition to be possible. And such help could come from corporates or from governments. Mm -hmm. George, would you agree that the transition to a less meaty future is comparable to um, the energy transition? Yeah, I mean, um, I was going to mention the same thing. Um, an example might be up in Scotland, you know, where they've, um, uh, you know, the gas industry there. And um, obviously that's a hotspot for wind farms, isn't it? And so um, you would imagine, in theory, it would make a lot of sense to graduate um, towards that industry in practice I'm not sure how easy and simple it is to do that um, I mean you only have to look back it was before my time and I don't want to get into this but it didn't really work when we closed all the coal mines did it so um, it might have had a positive I don't think it was done for um, with the climate in mind was it but even though Boris tried to dress it up as that um, but you know I think we have to be pretty careful when we're uprooting an entire community um, and telling them to do something else. So what would you say actually needs to change so that the global food system becomes more sustainable? Well, I think it needs to be a little bit more personable and um, realise that these are human beings who have done something for X number of years. And, um, you know, you look at it in a, in a macro sense and you think, well, this needs to happen at this scale. But it, the, everything requires people and people are affected I mean, you know, mental health in farming, uh, in the farming community is, is, has got one of the highest suicide rates of any industry in this country. Um, and I think, you know, that's a consideration too. There's no doubt whatsoever that, you know, shifting towards regenerative agriculture and arable from pastoral would be a really positive thing and would help, um, you know, create a, a, a greener future. Um, but It needs to be done quickly too, because we don't have much time, do we? The world seems to be ending already. But um, with everything, you know, it takes due care and attention. And I don't think these kind of decisions can just be made sweepingly at the top. Um, I think they should be localized and made by the communities at the heart of them. Mm -hmm. So we same question to you. What do you think needs to change so this whole food system becomes more sustainable, more future-proof maybe? I think it'll take a lot of action from... Um, the farmers, but also corporates, investors, governments, I think, from all of these stakeholders to, to do the transition forward. And then in the end, I think corporates will have to be supportive of farmers to transition if consumers are showing their demand for healthier and more sustainable products mm -hmm. and possibly even maybe paying a bit more for these. And if investors are also looking more carefully at the products and their, their sustainable profile, but also their health profile altogether. Mm -hmm. So final question to wrap it up. You've basically answered that already, but I just put it out there. Is a meatless future realistic? 
Josh, I start with you. <laughs> um, I hope not. Because? <laughs> because I think that um, life is there to be enjoyed. And, of course, there is no enjoyment in forest fires and rising seas and polar bears <laughs> having a bit of a upsetting time. Mm -hmm. But equally, I think that if we all th think tactically and sustainably, seasonally and locally, we can all come together and enjoy meat in a, a limited way, but in a way. And um, whether that's once or twice a week, brilliant news. Um, maybe we can still have generations to come sitting down to steak frites. I think food is also closely tied to culture. Mm -hmm. So I think that a reduction would be appropriate, but I wouldn't imagine a meatless future. Fair enough. Good note to end on. Thanks very much, both. That was delightful. Thank you. Thank you.